Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Lasting Learning Podcast, where we discuss ways to make learning last and education to endure. Lately, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, in a lot of different places, in a lot of different states, as we discuss the growing teacher shortage across America. The teacher shortage seems to be impacting every school, every district, every state across America. There are a lot of people out there with opinions on the matter who think that they know the solutions to this extremely, extremely dire problem. There are some states, I'll use Mississippi as an example, that feels that simply throwing money at teachers is going to solve the problem. See, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet with individuals for the, from the University of Southern Mississippi, and we discussed the teacher shortage. And at the time, the Mississippi legislature had just passed a law where they were going to be increasing teacher pay by $1,500 per teacher. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I would take $1,500. I, I could do a lot of damage with $1,500. But $1,500 is not going to solve the problem. is not going to solve the problem. And I know this emphatically because as I talk to university officials across the country, virtually every single university reports the same thing. They're not seeing a decrease in the number of students that come to their college campuses seeking teaching degrees. They're not seeing a decline. As a matter of fact, in some universities, they're actually seeing an increase We still have people that are graduating high school, entering the university with dreams of becoming teachers, with dreams of changing lives and changing destinies. The issue isn't the fact that we don't have people wanting to become teachers anymore. What we see is we see an increase in teachers that aren't making it in the career, that aren't making it in the profession. That's the real issue, and that's what I want to talk about today. You know, teachers have always been underpaid. They have always been underpaid. When I became a teacher 20 years ago, I knew that I would not be entering my career on a trajectory to make millions of dollars, to live in fancy houses and take trips to Europe all the time. I knew that wasn't the case. But I became a teacher because I felt like there was a higher calling, that I'd get something bigger out of the opportunity than a major paycheck. And you know, I would, I would argue that most teachers that enter the profession today still have that same mindset. They still have that, those same lofty ideals where they are more focused on the kids than they are the income. Simply throwing money at the problem isn't going to be the answer again. Don't get me wrong. Money is good. Teachers need to be compensated for their time, their energy, their efforts. But that is not going to solve the issue. What is going to solve the issue? Well, let me talk about this through metaphors because it's what I always do. Metaphors and parables work. They have worked for a couple of thousands of years. So let me give you a couple of examples. So a lot of you know that right now I am six days away from running in my first Boston marathon. 
the Boston Marathon is the holy grail, if you will, for, for marathon runners. It's the race that almost all marathon runners desire and long to be a part of. In order to enter the Boston Marathon, you have to have a qualifying time and, and or get a sponsor exemption. It's not something you can just simply sign up for and, and go show up and run. But the Boston Marathon every single year has 30,000 runners. And that's capped. There are uh, fifty to 60,000 people that apply for the Boston Marathon every year. But this year, there's going to be 30,000 runners. Boston Marathon has a registration fee of close to $400. In order for me to, to train for the Boston Marathon, I'm out running six or seven miles every night and, or every morning. And then on Saturdays, I'm out running 15 to 20 miles at a time. This has been going on for months and months as I prepare my body. Boston Marathon is about an 11-hour drive for me from my home here in Michigan. I'm also going to have to pay for a hotel room for a couple of days. The costs associated with running a marathon are huge, both in terms of my time, my physical energy, and my financial resources. Yet the sport of long-distance running continues to grow. Just a decade ago, the Boston Marathon had about half as many participants. The New York City Marathon is, is open to 50,000 runners. You know, the marathon boom really took off in the late 70s and early 80s with marathons popping up all over the place. Now it's conceivable that every single weekend you could sign up to run a marathon. 26.2 miles. It's huge. People know how long and how arduous the task is of preparing for a marathon. They know how expensive it is to train for a marathon. And yet it's continuing to grow in popularity. The costs are almost associated with the growth. People realize the sacrifice involved. And as a result, they want to be a part of it. They want to be a part of something bigger. They want to be able to say that they did something. Now, some people run it for the, for the bling and the little medal that they get at the end. But most run it for bragging rights or for simply a, a feeling of accomplishment. It's the same thing with teachers. Teachers know the sacrifices when they sign up. They know what they're getting into. They know that the struggle is going to be real physically, mentally, emotionally. But unlike marathon running where we see it growing and expanding, we're seeing fewer and fewer teachers stick it out in the career. Because again, we're not seeing fewer people sign up to become teachers. We're seeing fewer people actually last. What we're seeing is in the first three years, more and more teachers deciding to pursue other opportunities. Now, 20 years ago when I became a teacher, I can tell you I made so many mistakes. I made so many mistakes my first year. It's ridiculous. I made so many mistakes my second year, my third year, my fifth year. Shoot, my eighth year, I was continuing to make major mistakes. But at no point in my teaching career did I ever feel like my job was in danger or in jeopardy. When I made mistakes, I was free to go talk to my principal and my assistant principal about it and say, oh my gosh, I blew it. I made a huge mistake. And I was, I was able to get feedback, encouragement, support, I was able to learn from my mistakes and get better and better and better. Nowadays, I would argue teachers don't feel that luxury. I'd argue that teachers from the moment they're hired are looking over their shoulders, making sure that they're going to have a job tomorrow. So worried about the judgment and the evaluation that they're going to receive. 
that they often don't feel the luxury or the freedom to open up and be honest and be real and be transparent. There's a, a mindset that teachers can be replaced at any time. I've actually had principals tell me that the only reason they hire first-year teachers is because it's easier to replace them. And we have teachers that come in, and if they don't have every single thing figured out in that first year, they're simply let go, and a new teacher is brought in the following year, and then they get another new teacher that goes through the same vicious cycle. And eventually, teachers, after they're let go and feeling lack of support, decide that it's just not for them. They'd rather go and be a part of something where they feel bigger, where they feel like they're supported, where they feel like they're making a real difference. If we want to stop the teacher shortage, what we have to do is start supporting our teachers to be teachers. Allow them to continue to remember why they became teachers. Allow them to focus on the art of teaching. We need to provide them feedback and support. It's not about having everything figured out right away. It's about modeling the expectation of learning, making mistakes, and growing. I've given the example before, but I'll give it again because I think it's a good one. Oftentimes in my talks, I equate teachers to, to elephants. You know, when elephants are bred into captivity, when, they are, when they're babies, when they are young, they are bound in ropes. They're forced to, to bow. They're forced to sit. They're forced to stay within a six-foot radius of their trainer. They're, given, they're, they're made to forget how strong and powerful they are. They're made to believe that their only role in life is to be submissive to the trainer. As they grow in size and stature, their will to fight, their will to, to be powerful is already been broken. And these elephants continue to be submissive and subservient to the trainers who were in charge of them from the beginning. That's basically how we treat our new teachers today. We make them feel as though they don't have the power and influence that they truly do have. We make them believe that it's programs and textbooks and pacing guides and curriculum that are more important than, than them, as opposed to pouring all of our energy and attention into growing our teachers and providing them the resources to support them. We look at it the other way around, that the teachers are there to support the curriculum. It's only once we begin to align our practices, align our beliefs, and focus on the idea that teachers matter more. Teachers matter more than anything in our building, more than our curriculum, more than our, our textbooks, more than any other resource we have. Teachers matter more. When teachers start to feel like they matter, when they start to feel like they're supported, when they feel like they don't have to look over their shoulders, when they're given the feedback, the support, the encouragement, the coaching, only then will the teacher shortage problem truly be solved. Having another amazing week, everybody.